Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 595 for May 31st, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts, back with Programming by Stealth, episode or installment 79 of X. Hi, Bart. Hi, Allison. So I am super jazzed up about two things. Um, okay. I have been working on my homework, except not necessarily doing what you said to do, but I've been really having fun and using stuff you've taught us and step and basically coloring outside the lines. Well, I couldn't be happier because, I, I mean, the assignments are, the idea is to, to, to get you, you know, to, to sort of set a baseline and to hopefully spark something. And this one seems to have gone off like a firecracker. So I'm, I'm rather, <laughs> rather happy about that. Yeah, I've been having fun. Uh, I also did a, a, a blog post today um, that, let's see, what did I actually call it? it, it the basic idea was to um, suggest that you should write by hand when you need to think. So I find that when I have to type, I tend to get restricted by being exact and correct. So if I type into a mm. code editor, I have to make my little squirrely brackets match, and I got to remember the parentheses where my if statements, and I got to get these stupid semicolons in place. But if I write by hand, I don't have to do all that. I can just say, well, if array is big, has a number that's like this, and uh, some maybe mm. a squirrely bracket, I can just write what I'm thinking and not have to be so precise, and it lets me get the ideas out, and then I have to go back and make it look, you know, be correct when I type it into the code editor. But I've I've been doing it using Notability, and the reason I chose Notability right. is because I can use the Apple Pencil on the big iPad, I've got the crayon on the little iPad, I've got my phone I can type on in a desperate uh, state, but I can also take screenshots of the effects of my changes um, on the Mac and paste it into Notability. Oh yeah, okay. So that's so that's some real cloudy goodness going on there. Oh yeah. So I was just you know using all these different things. So I you know if I'm at the grocery store, if I grocery shopped, and I think of something, I could just you know write it jot in it there. Down. I could jot it down and have it all be part of this one note. I, at first, I tried scratch oh. paper on my desk, but that was only on my desk. What am I supposed to do when I'm downstairs watching TV and I'm inspired? You know. You see, I, I was going to suggest uh, another approach, but it's not as good as your cloudy approach. Um, I, I would, I generally write an awful lot of pseudocode, or so not pseudocode. Well, yes, yeah, pseudocode, but mostly I just write the comments. So I basically I structure out all the comments of what I think I'm going to do, and I rearrange them all as comments, which means they can be as unprecise as I like because they're comments, right? Oh, and then know, I replace the comments with code. That is precisely what Dorothy does. Exactly. And she even used the word pseudocode because she said she writes it all out in comments. But I find that if I'm using a keyboard, even trying to do that, I make myself spell correctly. I make myself capitalize oh. correctly. I make my, I can't be sloppy with my keys, but the keyboard, I, I, I don't have the ability to do that. But man, with my pencil, I'm a mess. It's perfect. I think the, the the big takeaway here, I think, for everyone should be that you do what works for you. And so if you're like, I hate writing by hand. I hate, 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 hate writing by hand. So I will do anything to use a keyboard I possibly can. But I also don't want to create like compiler errors and stuff. So, you know, forward slash forward slash and then type any silly garbage with plenty of humor, <laughs> um, and, you know, silly, silly stuff. Most of which is usually gone before anything ever gets published. The occasional one slips through. Um, it's, it's, it's actually quite funny sometimes what programmers accidentally leave behind. Um, 
It was it wasn't me, but it was a colleague. I I had to dig up some old code that had been working fine for you know fifteen years, and then suddenly something went weird, and I found a bunch of comments along the lines of "Thunderbirds are go." Where it was supposed to say, you know, the test succeeded. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous! I love it. So you know, from time to time, we still you know to to uh, extract the micturate, as, as as we politely say, we would still say, Thunderbirds are a go, and someone will go bright red. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who it is. You, you know, one of the other things that I do like about using Notability for this is sometimes, um, you know, I've scribbled out the code. And and in my hmm. case, I'm, I'm it, it's not that I'm writing what I want to do, so I do a little bit of that, but I'm actually writing the code. I'm writing if, blah, then, blah, kind of things. And sometimes you go, oh, wait a minute, that's in the wrong place. With with Notability, you can just draw a lasso around something and move it. So it's like scratch paper that's yeah. editable. It's it's like halfway between typing and, and writing on paper. It's it's a it's a real sweet spot. That is actually pretty good because the other thing I will often do is diagram something out on paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. And those those diagrams end, end up with an awful lot of scribbles and it, it, they work for a while and then you kind of have to start over. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So with Notability, it's one long page. You just keep going. Yeah. So I, there's a whole lot of starting over. That's for darn sure. And I change color pen when I do that. I go, okay, that didn't work. Let's be in purple now. Oh, I like that. You know, I saw I saw the blog post on the Slack. And so are you going to record it for yes. the show? Yeah, so it'll I be can, in the show oh, too. Then, then I'll listen. The NoSilicast, not this show, just for people. Yes, cool. We're in one, not the other. But I should probably let us start because you promised us something today, right? <laughs> Did I promise? <laughs> How All many puns on promises can we fit into one show? All of them. Uh, yeah, so we will finally get to, to touch off promises today, but they're, they're a big topic um, and they are simultaneously extremely simple and extremely counterintuitive. Oh, no. So there will come a point when the penny will drop and it will be the most natural and sensible thing in the world. <laughs> but it may and not be today. And until the penny drops, yeah, and until the penny drops, there will be baffling, bamboozling, counterintuitive, weird, nonsensical. <laughs> I could keep going. You get the idea. Bart said he, he wrote the show notes like four different times, trying to get them in the right order, and none of them none of them worked for a while. But you eventually that was four times something. before I asked for your feedback. Oh, jeez! <laughs> it's been rewritten since then too. All right, so I will try yeah. really hard not to whine. I'll I'll giggle when I'm confused. How about that? Well, what I've also decided to do is to slow right down. I had this notion in my head of, oh yeah, we can charge straight ahead into the cool stuff about promises, and then about Tuesday, I was like, no, that's a terrible idea. It actually, let's get a let's get a single concept, an atom. We get that one atom in today, and we'll take it from there next time. Let's not let's not run before we can walk. So we're not going to do a lot of promises today, but we are going to get started, and I we're going to go slow. All right. I think if if so uh, we we've actually that, gotten better at doing this show because you've learned when Allison hits the wall and <laughs> when there's too much to try to pour in, and so I think it's a better it's a better show because of your adaptation and my limitations, maybe. Ari would say it's a better show because of your feedback to help me pace things because I get excited about the cool <laughs> stuff I want to tell you about, and I'll just keep going. It's got to be frustrating. It's like, oh, I want to tell them. Okay. I want to, yeah, and then, yeah, a lot of this stuff, like particularly the bootstrap stuff, I was chomping at the bit for like 
you know, a year <laughs> trying to get to that, you know. Anyway, uh, before we do that, just a quick run through of my sample solution to the challenge from last time. Um, and I didn't actually put a lot of detail into the show notes on this for the simple reason that I didn't actually use anything that I thought we hadn't done before. Okay. So I'm sort of hoping that if there, if I'm making silly assumptions, you'll ask me questions. Uh-huh. Uh, but I haven't really, th- th- there's nothing in it that I particularly want to underline. To some extent, I think it's just, um, I, I sort of look at it as reinforcing what we've done before as opposed to treading new ground, if that sure. makes sense. Sure, and that, that makes me happy. I enjoy that. Okay, good. So the challenge was to update our game from the previous time so that it would give the users some sort of feedback so that they can see the effect of their guesses. So we're telling them each time whether they're high or low, which means they're actually giving a lot of information. You know, if we just said yes or no, we would be giving away very little information, and you couldn't leverage that really to do anything useful. But by the simple act of saying high or low, you have the ability, if you choose carefully, to eliminate vast swathes of the search space each and every time. And what that gets you towards is the concept of a binary search, where every time you effectively get rid of approximately half the search space. And it's an algorithm used for searching any sorted piece of data. So it only works on sorted things. So the numbers from 1 to 100 are as sorted as you can get. But if you had an array of first names that was sorted alphabetically, you could use a binary search to find where, you know, Ringo is. Mm-hmm. You know, so anything sorted can be binary search. And so the idea was to turn this game into something that helps teach the concept behind the binary search. And so to do that, you had to give the user some sort of visual feedback where they could understand the implication of their guesses. And that was the first half. And the second half was the sort of bonk, bonk on the head, as the guys on the Mission Log podcast would say. And to have the final success screen say, basically, and if you had used binary search, here's how you would have guessed. And what's kind of interesting about that is that dumb luck can beat binary search at any given time. Just like you can go to a casino and win the jackpot. (laughs) I was going to say lottery, right? Yeah, lottery. However, on average, if you play the game 100 times and you go with dumb luck versus binary search, binary search will win every time. The house will win over time. But dumb luck will definitely, so it's not a case that every single time you play that binary search will beat you. But it is the case that if you do it long enough, binary search will beat you more often than you beat binary search. I I would also go with uh, binary search is predictable. You basically Mm. know it's going to take me about this long to get to the answer. You know, you just know what's going to happen. I I forget. Have you actually said what binary search is eliminating half of the results each time? Yeah, I I hadn't quite got to it yet. But yeah, so the binary search algorithm is basically you pick the you pick the middle or as close to the middle as you can get, which in this case, we had because it's there is no midpoint in something that is an even number long. So I decided to use math.round, which I think rounds me up. I could have used math.floor, which would have rounded me down. But basically, you take the available search space and you find approximately the midpoint and you guess the midpoint. And then you will be told higher or lower, at which point you have now halved your search space approximately, because if you're higher, you can throw away half. So the first time you guess, you'd probably guess 51 or 49, sorry, 50, 50 or uh, whatever way it works. You guess (laughs) near the middle. Yeah. And at that point, 
49 or you know or 50 depending on which side it falls on will be eliminated and then you guess in the middle again and you eliminate half again and you guess in the middle again and you eliminate half again and you keep guessing in the middle until there are no until you get it right and you will get it right right you keep halving it you will eventually get down to there's only one choice left or you'll get lucky and catch it before you get down to that stage but you know that each time the worst case outcome is that you have halved the problem space. That's as bad as it gets. And so you'll quite quickly zone in on the final answer. And if you can visually show a user what's happening, then that's a powerful way to teach the algorithm. Is my right, right. I, I used it just a few days ago. I had a bad, I had a, a service interruption in the middle of doing um, an upgrade of a bunch of uh, plugins on podfeed.com. Mm. It was like four or five of them. And I just went, oh yeah, go, 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 go. And one of them got borked and I didn't know which one. And I didn't remember which ones I'd done, but it, it borked the site. And I just went up to uh, uh, podfeed.com into the plugins folder, took half of them out. Nope, still not yeah. working. Okay, put that half back, take the first half out, cut that in half. And in like, I don't know, two or three steps, I had I knew which one it was and I was able to put it back. Yeah, and it's exponential. So you start off with a thousand. Well, you a thousand becomes five hundred, becomes two fifty, becomes one hundred and twenty-five. Right, becomes right. a difficult number, sixty-three and a half. <laughs> anyway, it, it sixty-two and a half. Um, it, it's amazing how quickly it narrows down. It's, it's quite a good algorithm. Anyway, so I chose to implement this because my my game worked off a grid. I had a very obvious mechanism for illustrating the effect of a guess. I simply disabled all the buttons that became impossible. So whatever you clicked, half the, you know, whatever amount of buttons on the wrong side were disabled. And if you keep doing that, you very quickly get to see what's going on. Right. That was my theory. And then the final step is just by the book, it pops up a message that says, and here's what binary search would have done. Well, cool. So the first thing I had to do to make that possible was to to create another variable to keep track of, which is basically the minimum possible guess. In other words, the minimum possible value that still makes sense based on the guesses that have been so far, and shockingly, max possible guess. And so initially, I initialized them to the minimum possible guess is the minimum number on the grid, and the maximum possible guess is the maximum number on the grid. So they initially start off as equivalent to min and max, which I defined before. So then in my reset game function, I have to remember to put those back, because otherwise, the next time you play, the disabling is complete garbage. So that's an important one. So my, so my, um, so my function... Basically, I added it into my reset game and the success handler for the Ajax call. I basically said, and the minimum possible is now the minimum and the maximum possible is now the maximum. Okay. The logic then, which actually twisted my noodle for a bit, because <laughs> if it's bigger than the smallest possible, then you have to update the smallest possible to the new bigger. It, it, it's all backwards. It's wait, all wait, wait. Backwards. I, I've got I've to give you the name of one of my, one of my variables. Uh, too high array min. Wait, what? <laughs> I know. As I was building I it up, it made sense. But I looked back at it and went, what the heck am I talking about? Yep. So the real new, like there's 15 lines of code that had to be added into my guess number function. And they do all the logic. And they don't use any complicated operators. It's just a couple of if statements, a couple of assigned equal to's, and a couple of less thans and greater thans. But it took me a while to get these <laughs> not to make my head explode. 
mine so is the, mine is the, still exploding. It's I'm still doing it. It's it's awesome. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So the first thing I did is I made a variable called too low, and I said I used the ternary operator to basically set it to true or false depending on whether or not my guess was less than the random number. So I figured, okay, so now at least I can make my if statements a bit Englishy. So I called it too low. Then I figured, since the chances are we're going to be changing the minimum possible guess or the maximum possible guess, I'm going to take a copy of what they were before I started. So prev min pos becomes equal to the minimum possible guess and prev max pos becomes equal to the maximum possible guess. So we now have a little copy of the previous min and max. Mm. So I say, if we're too low... Actually, the reason I hold on to those is when it comes to colouring in my button or to disabling my buttons, just to say. Um, so if we're too low, and if the number we guessed is bigger than the minimum possible guess is at the moment, then the minimum possible je- guess just became the number we guessed plus one, because we can't re-guess the one we just guessed. It's been eliminated two. Oh, so do you actually have logic that keeps you from being having stupid guesses? Like if I guess 10 and you tell me it's too low, can I guess five after that? You can, but then right, you, you can't buy the buttons because I will disable the buttons under your face. Okay. But if you go into the console and you type in guess number, open bracket, a number that makes no sense, my code does handle you doing that and pops up a message in red going, no, seriously, not possible. See, I made mine harder by made, making mine a text field because I, I wanted to exercise those those muscles of error checking and everything. Steve says I should mm. punish the the user. My, mine is a <laughs> circle filling in and he says you should just decrease it. If they made a dumber answer, change it to where they just went the wrong direction. Oh, you forgot that, did you? Oh, well, I've forgotten <laughs> it too. <laughs> that would work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have the mirror image logic. So else, if it's not too low, then if the new number is less than the maximum possible number, then the maximum possible guess just becomes the number minus one. And everything's just backwards in this code. It took me so long to get this not to be wrong. <laughs> By the way, your variable's even the same name as mine. Too low in camel case. Too low, there we yeah. go. <laughs> so I recorded my previous and next, or my previous min and my previous max, so that instead of having to disable every single button each time from the start as far as the minimum and from the end as far as the maximum, I could simply move from the previous min to the current min (laughs) and the previous max to the current max with a for loop. You act like you're going to have to go through and flip switches. (laughs) Can you flip it? (laughs) Well, this is the whole I don't like writing inefficient code. I know there's only 100 in our grid today, but now that we have a binary search thing going, there's no reason we couldn't increase that to a 1,000 grid. But you're creating those buttons every time. Okay, but every time you click a guess, I have to disable all the ones that need to be disabled. So that could be five. Oh, so if they, I made it a grid oh, they stay in existence? They're not being recreated with each guess? They're just being not enabled and guess. disabled? Oh, okay. I thought they were being all created with every guess. No, they're created every time you. you start a new game. Oh, got you, got you. Okay, then that makes more sense, I suppose. Yeah. But it isn't actually le- less code probably to do them all than to do... No, it's not less code, as- but it is less work for the browser to do. Because huh. instead of having to loop from zero up to the minimum value and disable, oh, disable, 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 disable browser. it just loops from the previous minimum possible to the new minimum possible <laughs> okay. and disables. 
And then it loops reverse. I don't get to do a minus minus very often, but I did have a reason to go with minus minus to go from the top down yeah. to the new maximum. Okay. I could have written it the other way, but it, it, I just like the symmetry. <laughs> right. And then the only thing I then had to do was update my guess number function to put in that message I just mentioned, where if you go, if your number is less than the minimum possible guess or greater than the maximum possible guess, show message impossible guess was ruled out by previous guesses. Hmm. Okay, but that can only happen if someone does it through the console, or if I screw up in my disable. Okay, <laughs> okay. Which is, there were times when that was true. There were many times while debugging this that the, the disabling was not going to plan, and it was because I had tied myself in knots and I ended up plus oneing instead of minus oneing, and it, it my brain hurt for a while, but I got there. Mm-hmm. The next thing to do then is I, if I'm going to tell the user what binary search would have done, well, then I actually have to go and implement binary search, don't I? So I wrote a new function called binary search, which is going to return an array of guesses, which is going to be the guesses binary search would do. Uh, so my function is called binary search. Very exciting. Uh, I make a variable called guesses, which is an array, an empty array when I start. Um... I record the minimum and the maximum of what's possible so far, because again, I'm doing all of this without any visual cue. This function is just doing it secretly in the background and returning the array. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we basically say, so my comment says, guess halfway point until the answer is found. So let G, which is my guess, semicolon. And this is an excuse to use a do while loop, which is something we don't get to do very often. I like Uh, do whiles. Yeah, do whiles are nice if you need to do something and then check. And in this case, there's no point in checking our guess until we've made a guess. So a do while is perfect. Make a guess and then keep doing that until you find the right answer. But there's no point in checking if you find the right answer before you've even made a guess. So I should say what Bart is doing here, and I only know because I saw his game, is that when when you're done with the game, it's going to tell you what the uh, a binary search result would have been, how many guesses, and what those guesses would have been. So what he's doing yes. right here is is creating this this array. set of data, yeah. this array of data of what would the the most efficient, well, the most efficient binary no, search. What would the have algorithm been. does. So you yeah. know, the house wins on average, but not necessarily most efficient every time. Yeah. So. Inside my do while loop, I say my guess equals math.round. So I use round. If I'd used floor, I would have guessed subtly differently. Math.round, the minimum plus the maximum divided by two. In other words, the halfway point is actually the average. In this case, min and max are, is the spread between the two values you have left. Exactly. Okay. The minimum possible and the maximum possible. So your, your search space, basically, the two ends of your search space, average them together, mm-hmm. math.round it to an integer because we don't have buttons for, like, pi. Um, my, my t- and then we shove it my into our guesses array. My solution pi, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, of course it does, because you have circles. Yeah. Because you have radians, I believe. Yeah. Okay, and I talked over... Two pi radians to a Yes, circle. I do remember that now. I talked over what you just said. So you do the math.round min, uh, of uh, min plus max divided by two, and then you do what? So you you save that as G. So you update the value of your current guess to that, and you also shove it into your array of guesses so that you keep track of it. And that's what you're going to be displaying later is this array of guesses. 
Exactly. And then you just update whether or not your minimum or maximum need to change, or rather which of your minimum and maximum need to change. So if your guess is less than the random number, the minimum becomes that guess plus one. If your guess is greater than the maximum number, your maximum becomes that guess minus one. Again, those pluses and minus ones caused me trouble. I got those backwards, but we got that. I've, I've lost you a little bit. What is the plus and minus one? Okay, so if I guess 14, mm-hmm. then you... If I guess 14 and 14 is too low, mm-hmm. then the new lowest viable guess is actually 15. 14 and down are now wrong. Right, but you aren't going to... You aren't actually going to guess that. You're going to guess halfway between the min and the min and max. Right, but I've got to capture the new min to guess again. So the new min, you're just going up the mins by one? No, the min becomes equal to the guess plus one. Min becomes equal to G plus one. Hmm. If the guess is less than the random number, the new minimum is the guess plus one. Yeah, that's the part I don't understand. You're just saying it again. <laughs> don't follow. Okay, it. but it, the minimum becomes equal to what I guessed plus one. Why plus, no, plus why one. plus one? What's Okay, if I guess 15, mm-hmm. I've guessed 15. It's not the minimum valid guess anymore. It's already been guessed. The minimum valid guess is 16. Okay, Th- but that's not where you're going to guess next because you're going to guess next halfway between... The min and right. the max. This looks like it's the minimum and the maximum being changed, not G. Correct, yes. Update min or max as but, appropriate. But that's not what it says. It says, oh, wait a minute. Min, equal, okay, sorry. I think I just got it. Okay, I think. Anyway. Yeah, the new going. minimum becomes equal to what I guessed plus one. The new minimum becomes equal to. Okay. All right, I'm with you. Yeah. And then we average again. And then we update them in the max. And then we average again. And we update them in the max. And you will get there. Mm-hmm. And each time we just shove the guess into the array. So at the end of it all, when that do-while loop finally finishes, so the, the, the condition on the do-while is the guess is not equal to the random number. And then we just say return guesses. Yeah, so right. out will come an array of some length containing a list of numbers. And then I just had to update my template, my little bit of my little bit of mustaching, so that we would pop out the binary search results. And then I had to update my view so that it would include my shiny new array. And that really is that. Cool. I like it. So at this point, it's time to do the hard part. What? So Everyone knows that when it comes to teaching programming to students, the lesson you dread is the one on recursion because it will make people's heads explode. This is one of those. So excuse me while I gather myself for a moment. (laughs) So the first thing I want to do is I want to motivate you into why this is worth going through that challenge to get from what are you talking about to oh. And the reason we want to get through it is because of callback hell. So I've briefly introduced you to callback hell. So the idea is callbacks are great for independent events. So there is one Ajax call to a web server. It's going to take an arbitrary amount of time to do something. And then when finally it gets back to the browser, the browser will then do what you told it via a callback. 
if those you could have a hundred of those, and as long as there's no relationship between those hundred, that it can happen in any order and it doesn't matter, callbacks are amazing. They just work. Whenever the <laughs> server gets back to you, your code runs. Great. It's the moment that thing number three depends on things number one, two, and four having been done before number three gets done. Or number six can't happen until either one or two have finished, but it doesn't really matter what happened to three. Once you get these interrelationships, doing it with callbacks becomes literally hellish. Mm -hmm. And we need to find a way of specifying these interrelationships without losing our hair. Without, by us pulling it out. Uh, <laughs> a classic example for why we would need this, a, a somewhat simplistic example, but still a very important example, is when we're dealing with templates. So you're writing some JavaScript, and it needs to load your UI. And so your UI might contain five different mustache templates, and it might rely on data from three different Ajax calls. You know, maybe go fetch the current weather from over here and go fetch something else from over there and something else from over there. You take all of this information, shove it into those 10 or whatever templates it is, and then out comes your web page. So you now have a whole bunch of Ajax requests, a few to go fetch your templates, a few to go fetch your data. And you need to orchestrate it in such a way that the template for the weather and the data for the weather, once those have both arrived, I can go ahead and draw the pretty picture, you know, the little happy sunshine for you, the raindrop for me. <laughs> But we still have to wait until, you know, something else comes back before we draw how many new emails you have or whatever is the other part of the UI, right? Right. And this orchestration is what we're trying to achieve. And that's where we're going to get to with promises. The ability to do that in such a way that you can just read the code and literally just seeing a snippet of code go, oh, okay, so that depends on that, depends on that, grant. Okay, I know how that's going to work. And with callbacks, you just cannot do that. But it's going to take us a wee while to arrive at our salvation. Because first we have to understand this new atom, this this concept of a promise. And a promise is a vague, woolly abstraction. And there's nothing worse than trying to speak in concrete terms about an abstraction. <laughs> and I'm always so open-minded when you do that, too. <laughs> I know. It's, you know, na- define a promise. I'm so happy that you you gave me a new for the, the traditional thing here in Ireland is how long is a piece of string that, that's the answer when someone asks you an impossible question yeah you know what does big mean mm, how long is a piece of string but thanks to the last Nocillacast I now have a new one I can use which Irish people don't know yet and therefore I get the element of surprise how big is a piece of coal <laughs> My, he's referring to uh, a blog post I did about how um People ask me, how long does it take to charge my new Tesla? And my answer is what my father would always say to questions like that. How big is a lump of coal? Yeah. And it's funny because dad recently bought a Tesla as well, um, which he also described as his midlife crisis. Oh, I love um, it. Which is interesting. His isn't red, though, so he's only doing it by half. <laughs> um, but everyone is obsessed with how long it takes to charge them and how Did far you Did you send him go. the article? I, actually, I... I need to actually. Yeah, so I, have, I haven't. I haven't had really had a chance. I have. I have. Yeah. I. I will definitely get a big kick out of it. I bet. <laughs> um, and definitely, I think you're right that weight is a really important factor because his is the X, which is a bigger, heavier vehicle, and it behaves differently to the three, which is mm-hmm. obviously a lighter, happier vehicle. Anyway, we should probably not get off topic too much on that, but I hope he likes it. 
he's in complete absolute love with his car yeah like totally like a giant big child and i'm so happy (laughs) i love seeing people enjoy tech okay okay so promises and venables we got to get this here so a promise isn't venables you just made that word up the word was made up (laughs) but not by me okay so a promise is an abstraction, and it didn't just appear out of nowhere. The idea of promises predates their existence as a part of the JavaScript language. People wrote their own implementations of this idea and made it available as a third-party library. There were lots of them, in fact. Hmm. And the most commonly used one was one called Bluebird. And so just like we use jQuery to make JavaScript make more sense... Before ES 2017, there were no promises in true blue JavaScript. If you wanted the idea of a promise, you had to, you know, include into your script this third-party library called either Bluebird or one of the, as I said, there were quite a few different promises, but Bluebird was sort of the most popular of them. And so the idea predates it being part of the core language. And the reason we talk about thenables is because there isn't one promise There is official JavaScript promises, there are Bluebird promises, and a whole bunch more. But what they all have in common is a convention they sort of accidentally stumbled into. They sort of organically came to a consensus. It sort of emerged by accident that they would all use the same function for making their promises do the promisey thing, and that function has the name then. Huh. So Anything that behaves like a promise will have a dot then. So anything that behaves like a promise is thenable. Okay. Anything so, that behaves as a promise is thenable. Okay. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything that every object that is a promise, wherever it came from, whether it's a real JavaScript promise, a Bluebird promise, jQuery has their own unique and special approach to promises. So we're going to have a lot of jQuery promises that aren't, they behave like promises, but they're actually not true blue JavaScript promises. They're jQuery promises. Oh, wow. It doesn't matter where they came from. They will have a function named then. And so when you're reading online, when you're reading on the Googles, a word that will come up a lot is, you know, this function returns a thenable. And unless I tell you that thenable and promise are synonyms, you will never guess that fact. Ah, huh. okay. So as you're Googling, you now need to remember that I'm looking for something about promises, but it might also be called thenable. So if you find a thenable, you you know you found a promise. Precisely. Okay. So if you're you're Googling and you're getting nowhere, try swap the words. (laughs) Okay. Or if you get an answer and you, you see, why is the title of this blog post thenable? It's fine. It's still answering your question. Okay. Just using words that you didn't. Okay. So that's why I think it's really important. And just to say that promises don't come in one flavor. So they're a broad spectrum, right? So when we're using jQuery, we're going to have some jQuery promises. And then some of the times we're actually going to use JavaScript's native promises because JavaScript's native promises do really cool stuff for orchestrating our different stuff together. And we may at some point come across some other third-party library we end up using for some other reason that uses a different thenable from someone else. So the point is, 
the concept is broader than JavaScript's class with the name promise with a capital P. Okay. By the way, that's what JavaScript calls its native promises, promise with a capital P. Okay, so I'm going to have my first attempt at describing the vague concept that is a promise. So the first thing is a mission it's trying to solve is it's a permanent representation of the outcome of an asynchronous task. So anything that takes an arbitrary amount of time to get to an answer is something that's promi- that you can convert to a promise. Okay. So a great a great example of that is a is a is an Ajax query. You don't know when you're going to get an answer. Right. So that's what I mean by something asynchronous. And what you want is one object that represents the entire life cycle of that Ajax query and that you get to keep you get to hold on to it forever. Hmm. So you say I want to get the current weather and I want to capture that information. I don't know how long it's going to be till I get that answer, but once I have the answer, I want to keep the answer because I might want to use it for the next half hour. I just want to keep it lying around as a variable. Whereas so far, that's not really how it's been working when we've been doing Ajax queries. They sort of, they happen. The success event fires once and that's it. It's finished. It's done. Can I ask how that's different than just shoving it into a variable when you get it? It's not, but with the promise, you don't have to shove it into a variable. It's just there. Okay. So you can simulate that aspect of promises by shoving it into a variable. But you have to remember to do that every time. If you don't remember to shove the answer you got into a variable using a call when you're using callbacks, well, then you've lost it. It's gone. You had one chance and you blew it. With, with a promise, it just does that for you. You get that for free. You don't have to remember. So like with the homework, you're ta- maybe the random number that you were getting from your... Um... Yes, Okay. exactly. All you right. can just keep that as a promise. All right. So a promise has a life cycle, right? Because when I make an Ajax query, for some arbitrary length of time, there is no answer. We don't know whether it will succeed or fail. It is in this sort of limbo of, well, this might go okay. Right. Or the server might tell me to get stuffed. I do right. not know. We're in this vague limbo state. And then at some point in the future, either the browser will give up and say, time out, I'm done. This is never happening. I call quits at which point the promise has a known outcome, failure. Or the web server does respond and says, nope, I do not understand the question. 500 internal server error, sod off. Or 404, what on earth was that URL you gave me? I have no idea. Or hopefully the server answers with the data you asked for. And now you know the outcome of the call. It's the data you asked for. But either way, the promise goes from being in limbo to being known good or known bad. That makes sense? Yeah, wait, I thought the promise stayed forever, It's but it's it's no good or no bad based on whether or not the server actually returned the answer? Right, so the object, the promise is an object. That object exists forever, but that object moves through a life cycle. Oh, okay. Okay, right, right, right. Gotcha. I'm with you. Right. So I like to describe the initial state of the promise as an IOU. Hmm. So the promise represents the fact that I, I've asked for some data, right? If you imagine, well, what is a banknote? A banknote is a promise of money that you can hand around. 
Right. A promise is a variable that doesn't have a value yet. It's not a piece of actual gold. It's just an IOU some gold. But you can already start to treat it as if you had the gold. You can treat the promise like you already have the answer. And you can say, I want to send that as a return value from this function. And I want to use it over there. And I want to use it over there. And I want to do this with it. I want to do that with it. You can already start to use it on the understanding that at some point in the future, we'll figure out what, what this is. By the way, the, the so whole time you're IOU. talking, I'm, I'm picturing Wimpy in uh, Popeye saying, I'd gladly pay you Thursday for a hamburger today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to some extent, that's what it is. And sometimes it backfires because the promise can fail. Right, right. And then you've handed around a bum check, but you still handed it out. Right, right. So initially it starts off as an IOU. And then at some point in time, it sort of, I also like to think of this as a superposition state. I'm, I'm a big fan of Schrodinger's cat. You know, initially it's alive and dead, but eventually it becomes either dead or alive. It either, yes, we got an answer or nope, sorry. No, so, no it's Schrodinger's hamburger. <laughs> it's Schrodinger's hamburger. There you go. You're not going to forget it now. Nope. So those, of course, are not the words you will find in the manual. The words you will find in the manual is that a promise starts its life unresolved. No. And then it will it then one of two things will happen. It will resolve to the value you asked for, or it will be rejected. So a promise is unresolved, I don't know, and then it becomes either resolved, I do know, or rejected, I failed. So okay. there are the three states. And a promise is always unresolved, resolved, or rejected. And of course, we as programmers, we look forward to the resolved state and we hope we don't see too many rejected states. So what was unresolved again? Unresolved is I don't know. Hmm. So the Ajax call might have succeeded, but but nobody told me, so I just came back without it? No, no, no. no. We don't know yet, right? So at the instant you make the Ajax request, it is unresolved because you do not know whether the server is going to answer success or failure or whether the browser is going to time you out or whatever is going to happen. Okay. Okay. So it it starts unresolved. But but if the the server falls over in a heap and returns a 5-0 whatever error, that would be rejected? Yes. Okay, that's not unresolved. That's rejected. Exactly. Yeah, this is where I don't like their choice of language because you would think that an antonym for resolved would be unresolved. Yeah, but But it isn't. No, 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 no. Well, it's it's got the word yet in it. Yeah. Think of unresolved as not resolved yet. Yeah. And then it can resolve or reject. Yeah. Yeah, so mentally put the word yet after unresolved. Right. So, at all points in time, your promise is unresolved, and then at some point it becomes resolved or rejected. And the then is kind of the key word, right? Because what you care about is that what do you do when it becomes resolved? And that's where your dot then function comes in. Now, you never... Okay, so the last thing I want to say on the theory part, you don't read the value of a promise out of the promise like you would an array. You never say to a promise, tell me what your value is. Hmm. The, the only way you get the value out of a promise, whether you get it out now, half an hour from now, 
an hour from now, whenever you get it out, and each time you want it, and you can want it a hundred times, a thousand times, you can get the value out as often as you like. So, like I was saying, unlike the Ajax query, the promise hangs about. As long as you save that promise into a variable, you can keep asking it again and again and again and again and again. What was it you were giving? What was that value? <laughs> is it still 26 degrees Celsius in California? Oh, it is. Okay. Is it still 26? You can keep asking it forever. But regardless of when or how often, the only way you get an answer out of a promise is through dot then. So you can call dot then a thousand times, but it's your only way to get at the information is through dot then. Okay. So dot then is your doorway into the promise. Right. So let's talk about dot then, because yeah. dot then really is what it's all about. That's why the synonym for promise is thenable. It is all about the then function. The then function is the heart and soul of a promise. And we're only going to learn about half of what it does today. Hmm. We're going to learn the other half next time. So in order to play along here, I have created a file in the zip file called pbs79a.html. And this this is one of those demos where I want you to open the page and then open the console. And we're going to do everything in the console, but the page provides some pre-made variables so that you don't have to... So basically, we can make our samples sensibly small. So we can actually see what's happening. So when you do that, I'm just going to mention the important variables. So I have a variable called fakerws underscore base, which is the URL to a little web service that we used last time as well. In fact, we're using it for our game to give us a random number, but it can do all sorts of fake data. It's a really cool library, actually. Um, and so we're going to use that library to generate some garbage, not garbage, some randomly generated corporate data on a corporation that doesn't exist. Okay. Just so we have something to do. Uh, and so the URL for that web service is stored in the variable faker ws base. So in other words, the faker web services base URL, which is bartbushas.ie forward slash utils forward slash faker ws forward slash. Um, then we're going to store the URL used to fetch not a single value, but a collection of values, which are called records in this AP, in this web service. And so corp rec URL, which is the URL we're going to use to request some corporate data, is the faker base followed by records.php. Okay. It's just the URL. All right. And then the last thing we have is corporate rec data. So this is the data we're going to put. So the form data that needs to be sent to this web service so it does its thing. And so that form data consists of a, a key value pair locale, E-N-U-S. That's just telling the web service, I want you to give me American style things. We'll see what the things are in a minute. Next, it says type JSON text. I want you to tell me, dear web service, the information you generated in the form of JSON, but I want you to put it on multiple lines and nicely spaced in so I can read it as a human being and not as one giant single line of glop, which is how JSON is normally shown to people. So that's type JSON text. And then I specify the four fields I want for my fake company. The first one is called company. And it's just a randomly generated company name. The next one is called catchphrase, which is a randomly generated company catchphrase. They can be quite funny. 
The next one is address, which is going to be a randomly generated postal address. And the last one is toll-free phone number, which is a randomly generated 888, I think it's an 800 number, because it's our, our locale is US. And so that is just going to ask this web service to give us company catchphrase address and toll-free number via Ajax. Okay. I'm with you. So you... You can see that in action. If you take the URL in the show notes there and plop that into your browser, you can see what that looks like. I'd be curious what if we get anything funny. Okay. Let's see. So just the, the faker base URL, you mean? No, no. So um, in the show notes, the next text box down is just a, a very long one-liner that starts with HTTPS colon slash slash. Ah, ah, sorry. I tend yeah, to so look at the all... code while you're talking, not the words while you're talking. So when you jump, I, I lose yes. it. So put that in a so this a is browser, a URL or you can do it from the command line with curl if you like but either okay. way make a web request all right and that should spit you back some pretty json it says company weigand legros catchphrase balanced interactive encryption okay that I, I have extended motivating superstructure <laughs> okay it's wonderful garbage and then there's an address and a toll-free number, 855. Right. Oh, yeah, that's standard movie numbers, isn't it, 855? Well, there's 866 is what I've got here. There's all kinds of Oh, I have a numbers. 1-800 number now. That's, that sounds better somehow. Yeah. I'm an 877. They're anyway, all 800 yes. numbers. Okay. Okay, and that, that oh, URL that you just eight. had us plop Sorry, in the, for the audience is it has all of this. Defi- or, oh, it's just asking for those, just the way you described them. Gotcha. Exactly. So these variables, they're not doing any magic. They're just saving us copying and pasting all of this in every single Ajax request we do. And my reason for putting them into variables is so that the Ajax is readable in the, in the snippets. I don't want, I don't want to confuse what we're trying to teach with this boring glop of telling the web service what we want. Okay. So we just shove them into variables. Before we do something the new way, I would like to revisit the old way, and I want to draw your attention to the fact that there are two very distinct concepts which are potentially very confusing. So the first thing we're interested in is the data returned by the web server in response to the Ajax request. A completely different concept that is utterly unrelated is the return value of the JavaScript function $.ajax. Those are not the same thing. Okay, same one more time. The second one was the uh, the value returned by the $.ajax. What was the first one? The the data returned from the web server. Okay. Hmm. So they're not the same thing. Okay. But they both use the word data and return, which okay. is why they're potentially confusing. So you can copy and paste the next little code box into the console on pbs79a.html, and it will make an Ajax request the old-fashioned way. So the URL is our variable we saved, method get, cache false, data type text. The data is that big object we shoved into the into the variable, corp rec data. And then success is a callback, which takes, which names the first argument data, and then just console.logs, the web server replied with the following data, and then it includes the data. Okay. Yeah. And I get back the same sort of looking stuff that we did with the URL you gave us before. Yeah, exactly. It'll be a different random piece of glop, but there we go. Okay. So that's the way we learned it last time. Yes? Yes. So looking back at our two distinctly different concepts, it's quite clear what's happening to the data returned by the web server. 
it's being passed to the success callback as the first argument, and we are choosing to name that first argument data. Right, right. What are we doing with the return value of $.ajax? I'm not sure what the return value is in that. I know what the success... Okay, so if I say, if I say math.rand, it returns a random number. So you would expect to see let x equal to math.rand. What we're doing yeah. with the return value of dollar that Ajax is completely, totally, and utterly ignoring it. Okay. Right? We do nothing. There is no equal sign to the left of that yes. dollar sign. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Okay. But it there has is a value being that. returned, and I have never told you what it is, oh. and we have never gone anywhere near it. Hmm. We've just been ignoring it. Okay. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> All right. So, the, what it is, what that value is, is your favorite thing in the world, a JQXHR object. Ugh. Ugh. All right. And you keep asking what it is, and the answer is it's bloody well everything. It's a superposition <laughs> of everything. JQXHR is many, many things, but for today, we only care about one of its identities. JQXHR is a thenable. JQXHR is a promise. Oh, dear. Then I have to so like it. So we are going to treat it like a promise. And we're going to ignore the fact that it also does other things. Doesn't matter. For our, As far as we are concerned, the fact that it happens to be a JQXHR object is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is $.ajax returns a promise. Ah, okay. All right. I can, so I can live with that. Ignore the complexity. It's irrelevant. It is a promise. All right, let me say the words out loud. Ajax returns a promise. Bingo. Okay. That's it. Good. That's, that, is, that is very important. So now let's rewrite the example from above in promisey speak. So the very first thing that's changed is I'm saying let corp promise become equal to $.ajax. So immediately the return value from $.ajax is not being ignored. It's being shoved into this new variable corp promise for, uh-huh. for corporate promise. Okay. Then we have very similar stuff. The URL is our variable. The method is get, cache is false, data type text. The data is corp rec data. But we don't ever there is do no, any success. And we don't name We don't a do a success. We don't do an error. And we don't do a complete. There are no callbacks Oh, here. because this doesn't require it to complete yet. Or or right. or succeed. Exactly. We're just saying whatever be, happens. Because it can be resolved, unresolved, or rejected? Yes. Ooh, look at me go, girl. So we have now captured the essence of this asynchronous thing, and we have shoved it into a variable named corp promise. And we can just treat that like any other variable now, and we could pass it as an argument to a function... We can copy it. We can say, you know, corp promise second copy becomes equal to corp promise. You know, it's a variable now. And so this piece of future data is now a variable we can pass around like any other variable. We could call it buggers. We could call it whatever we like. It is now a variable representing this thing that will happen sometime. This promise, this IOU, this future burger for Wimpy (laughs) is now sitting there in corp promise. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So we now have a promise. So how how do we get the data out? Okay, I have an IOU. How do I get my money? Yeah. The answer is the dot then function. So the dot then function 
takes two arguments, a callback to execute when the promise has successfully resolved, and a callback to execute when the promise has rejected. Okay, because in between, it's just sitting there unresolved. Well, the thing is, only one of those callbacks is ever going to happen. Right. Because the Schrodinger's cat is either dead or alive. So we have a what to do if we have good news, Uh and what to do if we have bad news. Okay. They're both optional. So you can use dot then, and you can decide to be a real optimist and just, okay, if we don't get an answer, so what? And you can just pass a single argument to dot then, which is what to do on success. And if failure happens, ah, well, so be it. Is that being an irresponsible developer, assuming it's going to work out? Depends on what the request is for. If the request is for something that's just some optional flourish, then if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's 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 just some optional flourish. It doesn't affect the functionality of the web app. If the request is for something mission critical that will make your app not work and you don't handle that error, then you're a bad programmer. Okay. All right. The second argument... So that's the second one being optional. The first one is also optional. You can be a really pessimistic Nelly <laughs> and decide that the only thing you're interested in is something going wrong. Okay. In which case, how do you only pass a second argument? Well, you kind of have two choices. You can pass null or undefined as the first argument. So you can say then null, comma, and then you're what to do when things go wrong. Hmm. Now, okay. I call the, I have my promise. I say promise name dot then callback callback. What happens when I use dot then? That depends on what state the promise is in. And there's two possible things here. So there's two things that then could do. The first case is that the promise is unresolved. What happens then, when you call dot then on a promise that's still an IOU, it accepts your callbacks and it queues them. So they now and they're now at the back of the queue, and whenever this promise resolves itself, I will execute either success or failure, or either the first callback or the second callback, so the resolves or the rejected callbacks, depending on what happens. So if the promise doesn't know its outcome yet, it just queues them up. And so if you call dot then 50 times before it gets an answer from the server, there will be 50 callbacks sitting there waiting. And when the thing finally gets an answer, the promise will automatically execute those in the order they were provided. Oh, really and that's nice. important. That's important, right? Yes, it is. Because that's, that's how very you get important. stuff in order, which is what we're trying to fix. Yes. So it will simply say, oh, okay, I've been told to do these five things when I finally get an answer, and I will go this one, then this one, then this one, then this one, then this one. Hmm. And if I get five errors, oh, I guess I'll do those five errors, this one, then this one, then this one, then this one. So that's the first case. The promise is not resolved. So I just put them in the queue, and I will deal with them when the promise does resolve automatically. You, the programmer, don't have to worry about it. The promise has your back. And you can keep passing that promise around and people can keep adding more and more and more and more things to the back of the queue. And they will happen when they can. The second case is at the point in time when you call dot then, the promise has already resolved or rejected. Well, in that case, it doesn't wait for anything. It just does what you asked it and says, okay, 
I, I, I can do this for you straight away, sir. I have the answer. And it does. Okay. So it either queues it up or it just does it for you, whichever is appropriate. And that's all there is to it. Hmm. So it's quite easy to say, but there's quite a bit going on there. So let's just do it. Okay. So have you refreshed the page since you ran the code snippet above? No. The let con promise. If you have, just run let con promise again so that we actually have our co- our, our promise. Wait, Sorry, let, let corp promise. Uh, I never said let corp promise. What do you mean? Oh, brilliant. Okay, well then pop that let corp promise into your um into your terminal. Just say let corp lowercase corp corp. Well, just copy and paste those those couple of lines Wait, from the show notes there. What? Then I don't know where you are. Okay, so I, I'm I'm on the snippet of code. Oh, oh, that the whole says, thing that said let corp. Okay, sorry, I didn't do yeah. that. What am I talking? Okay, I thought you just meant just those words. So let corp promise equals dollar ajax, and it's going to call all that stuff. Okay, yeah, there. So at this point in time, your little console now has this variable corp promise, which is a promise, so we can use it. So let us then it. So before we copy and paste it in, let's go through the code. So corp promise dot then. First argument, function, data, the resolved callback. Console.log, yay, smiley face, the promise resolved to the value dollar data, data. Comma, so end of first argument, beginning of second argument. Function, this is the rejected callback. Console.log, sad face, the promise rejected. So if we copy and paste all of that, all those eight lines into... Our um, console. Console. Mm-hmm. You will see that unsurprisingly, in the time we've been yammering away, the promise was has resolved, and we immediately get to see whatever it was that resolved whenever it resolved. Okay. And we can do it again and again and again because that promise continues to exist. Now it won't change its value because we it has its answer. It's now baked in. Okay, because it because so, it was resolved. It was resolved exactly. And we're never going to see the sad face because it was re- it's resolved. Okay. We have not done anything impossible. So, um, okay, before we go any further, let's make our lines of code easier to read. There are two more variables in PBS 79A. They are called resolved underscore CB for callback and rejected underscore CB for callback. And they are basically those two functions, but saved as variables. Okay. So that now we can rewrite our code so it's much more easy to understand what's going on. So we can say corp promise dot then resolves callback, comma rejected callback. Uh, wow, that isn't more logical to me. Um, I understood where we well, were. And okay, then you, this sh- th- you changed it to say var resolved underscore CB equals this function that says yay. And var rejected CB is a function that says it's it's rejected. Yes. Then what did you do? So then instead of having to type all of that out every time, I can just pass those two new variables into dot then for exactly the same outcome. So now the code Bart's talking about says corp promise dot then parentheses resolved underscore CB comma rejected underscore CB. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got you. So now we can see that we're passing two arguments to then. So it's easier to see what I'm what then is doing because it's not full of all of these multiple lines of code. I got you. I got you. Okay. So you can pop that into the console just to prove to yourself that I'm not talking porcupines. <laughs> it's doing the same thing. Yeah, it should. 
So now let's intentionally make a failed promise. Let us, and we're going to do that by talking to a garbage URL. So let failed promise become equal to $.ajax URL, the variable plus the word boogers. Okay. That is definitely a nonsensical URL. Method get cash false data type text data corporate data. So we will now see, we will now have a second variable existing in our console called failed promise. So we can call result, we can call the dot then function on failed promise with our two callbacks resolved and rejected. And this time we'll see a sad face. So hang on. Oh. Uh, the let failed promise equals dollar ajax corporate rec url plus boogers returned origin null is not allowed by access control allow, allow origin and they're not return values they're errors right so if you well, set your browser to logs you won't see those they're actually browser error messages because a browser has just failed to get that request okay so i, I can just ignore these yes they are not responses that's the browser logging the fact that it tried to do something wrong. So if you were to include a non-existent image and hit refresh, you'd see similar errors. Okay. Th right. That is actually the act of the browser failing to fulfill the promise. Which makes sense. It's because without that's what we should do. Okay. We've sabotaged so, it, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, I got distracted by everything being going... Uh, that was a big mess. So Okay, so we, we just did this failed promise which is asking for a URL that doesn't exist. So now you're yeah. saying we can do our thenable on failed promise and we should see our sad face. Sad face. Yes, exactly. Okay. So failed promise dot then resolved callback comma rejected callback. And this time we should see sad face, the promise rejected. It's very sad. Okay. It's very I, sad. I think I see what I you're doing. I toyed so with going with crying, but I thought that might be over-egging the pudding a little. <laughs> By the way, last night I said to Steve, I'm making a dog's dinner of this. And he's like, Yay! What? And he said, is that another one of your dad's things? I said, no, that one's Bart's. I think Don uses it as well. It's a very much a British Isles thing. To make it, uh, oh. Actually, no, sorry. The Brits tend to say a dog's breakfast and the Irish tend to say a dog's dinner, which is yeah, kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, the idea being leftovers. If you, you imagine at the end of the dinner table, you take all the leftovers, you mush them together with a fork so that they're mushy, and then you shove them in the dog's bowl. <laughs> a mess. That's what my code looked like last night when I went down. <laughs> okay, so okay. we now have our failed promise. So we can say, I was saying to you earlier that we can choose to be a negative Nelly and only actually do something on rejected. So we can say our corp promise dot then null comma rejected and that won't print the sad face because corp promise, which still exists, remember, because promises keep hanging around. That will not actually print out our happy face or our sad face. It doesn't because neither of those callbacks got called. Wait, 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 wait. I don't know what you're talking about. So you've got corpromise.nl or dot then parentheses null comma rejected. So you put null there, which means you won't have, you won't get the happy face because if it resolved, you're saying don't return anything. Don't do anything. Don't, don't execute don't any execute callback. anything. Okay. And on failed promise, you've also said don't execute anything if it resolves, but you but you do have the rejected, and that's why I get the promise rejected. Okay. Yes, exactly. So when you do uh, corp promise dot then null comma rejected, you should see no happy or sad face. And when you do it on failed promise, you should see the sad face. Yes. Yes. Now that's weird looking, right? Then null comma rejected. It's so weird looking that the people 
from Bluebird and from all the other libraries decided that they should have a second convention. Hmm. Rather than writing then null comma, let's write a second function that does the same thing, but as one argument. And that is the function catch. So a thenable also has a function named catch. And catch only executes when things go wrong. So if we say failed promise.catch rejected callback, it behaves exactly the same as failed promise.then null comma rejected callback. So it's just a shortcut so you don't have to write ugly looking code. I remember catch. We talked about catch a long time ago in a different context. Oh, yeah. So there's a keyword catch, which goes with the try. And there's this function named catch that has nothing to do with each other because those charming people at Bluebird thought that was a good idea. (laughs) Well, it's a good word. It is a good word. Basically, catch the errors. Yeah. I want want this to happen when all goes wrong. Yeah. So it's not a bad word. So even even though we're using a thenable, we don't have the word then in our our text here. It says filledpromise.catch and then the the function you want it to run. In that example. Because catch is a synonym for then null comma. Okay. It's just a shortcut. So catch is like some, yeah. Catch doesn't do anything that then doesn't do. It just does one thing then does in a nicer looking way. Yeah. And that's basically sort of, okay. One last thing I want to say to you, and then we're going to call it a day. So in this This time around, we have saved our promise and we gave it a name and we used the same promise over and over and over again. How many times did we call corppromise.then? Like many times. Mm -hmm. And we only actually ran the Ajax query the once. So that proves my point about these promises being, they hang around, they have a sense of permanence to them. Right. Which our, our raw Ajax with callbacks most certainly did not have. Now, that's great if you want permanence, right? So we made a variable, we assigned it equal to the promise, and then we called then on the name of the variable. Right. But it is it is also possible that we just want to do something once and that we don't want to hold on to it. And then making a variable and then using the variable is just a waste of our time. So you can use the promise once and throw it away. And the way you do that is you say your $.ajax and then before the semicolon, immediately dot then. Wait. Where? So dollar dot Ajax. Dollar dot Ajax. All of its glop. Then on line seven, the dollar dot then gets closed. That closing parens there on line seven on the code slip, it ends the dollar dot Ajax. Okay, yeah, you didn't say to put a parenthesis right after. So it's dollar dot Ajax, open parenthesis. Then your squiggly brackets, all the normal Ajax call stuff, close squiggly bracket, and then closed regular parenthesis. Dot then. So what that closing parenthesis does is it ends the argument list for dollar Ajax. Does it? Dollar Ajax has one argument that is an object, which goes from squiggly to squiggly. So, so, so why not just the squiggly to squiggly? What do you need the parentheses for? Oh, because you need parentheses to say dot then. No, you need the parentheses to say, I am a function. $.ajax always starts with the parentheses. Every function starts with name of function, open parentheses. That's how you say expelliarmus. Oh, I've we have never used noticing. a function. I'm sorry. I haven't been noticing that $.ajax had parentheses and squiggly brackets all along, as we've been talking it about. It always has, because otherwise you would have had a compiler error. Okay. 
Wow, I'm I'm slow. Didn't notice. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, you almost lost me on the and last so turn. It's like all you're doing is turning into the driveway at this point, and I fell off the back. Yeah, but it's an important. It's a subtlety. It's kind of an important subtlety, which is why I left it at the end, and I do want to do. Okay, it. so then we have our dot operator followed by our then. So the way JavaScript works, it goes from left to right. So the first thing it does is it use it does $AJAX and converts that into the promise, right? It runs that function. It expelliarmus is that function. And what's to the left of the dot is now a promise. So we can say dot then because oh. we have a promise now. Even though we didn't make a variable that is the promise, it already yeah, is we a just, promise. We have right? it now and we're going to use it while we have it and then we're not going to save it anywhere. Oh. We're going to call dot then on it once and then we, then we let it go away. Okay. Then we ignore it. Okay. So dot then and then we just have our two resolves in this case i'm only putting in one callback i'm proving to you where you don't have to have a negative one okay so in this case i'm just passing it one argument which is the callback console.log the promise that was never saved resolved and triggered this callback so if we copy and paste that those 11 lines of code you should see the promise that was never saved resolved and triggered this callback okay I don't I don't understand what we did. So we've got we've got the uh dollar dot ajax, uh we've got the list of the parameters, dot then. So the, the everything to the left of the dot is our promise. And we're saying mm-hmm. then, this is our thenable thing. Mm-hmm. Then you've got function D. Why do you have function D? What's D? Okay, so we get to choose the name we give the first argument. So we have been calling it data. We could have called it boogers. I got tired of typing. I just called it D. Okay. So the first argument, okay. which is our data. And you made a function that says console.log, the promise that was never saved, resolved, and triggered this callback. Actually, I could have given it no name at all. I've just realized I didn't actually include D anywhere. Right. Probably should have put D into that printout somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What is, what is returned by $.ajax? A promise, which we immediately then. But what is it? Dollar that Ajax returns a promise that we, if you excuse this terrible turn of phrase, we then then. So I thought, I thought the result of this this Ajax call would be one of these company names with the the data about the company, like the address. That's the result of the. Ajax call. That's the result from the web server. Right, which would which be D. Which is going to be D. Right, but D never shows up on screen here. Where'd D go? No, because I didn't console.log D. I guess you could pop in an extra line that says console.log D if you like. I actually just put up a message to say, yeah, I got something from the server. I forgot to tell you what it was. Okay. You can pop up, I'm gonna D after plus, the single quote, you can pop a plus D, yeah. D if you like. There we go. Now I'm happy. I got to use D. I was like, but where D, what's D for if it didn't go anywhere? Okay. Yeah. All right. So to, to bring it home, we've uh, mm-hmm. we've done a dollar dot Ajax call and we've gotten some data. We put it in D for no no apparent reason. Uh, the results of that for, for no reason. But, yeah. but that is a promise because we put dot then after it. That turns it into yes. a promise, correct? Well, no, so $.ajax always returns a promise. Okay, it always returns... Oh, and because it's that XH it. 
QRLZ thing you get. Okay, so it's always, yes. it's always returning a promise, but it's whether we use any, it or not. The first time we Bingo. used it by by putting it into a variable. This time, we're just going to dot then on it right right there. We're not going to waste any time, and we can only use this one once. Yep, because once it finishes its dot then, it's gone. We didn't save it anywhere, so it existed. We then did, and then it went away. So if I type D right now into the console, it's like, a, what's D? Precisely, say, oh, oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> it was, it, it was like, what do you want, debugger? What? It, it just what? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't get a real good feel of how we would actually use this, but I think this. Uh, you must have spent a long time between the first draft of this that I saw and now, because the first time I read it, it was like, what is he talking about? So this is, uh, yeah. you put a lot of time into getting this to work, I think, and making it where it, it And what you saw me. as your first was my fourth. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> right, Sunday, Sunday morning I started these notes, and all of the information was in them by Sunday lunchtime. Wow. It's just been in them again, and again, and again. <laughs> but I think I have a story. I, th- I think I've taken you on a story. You did, definitely. I think, you know, if you just used paper and a pencil, you probably would have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're, we haven't yet come to getting us out of callback hell. We've just come to a basic understanding of then. We have this idea that a promise is this IOU that will become either the, the information we wanted or I'm so sorry, you can't have that. So it is unresolved and it either resolves or rejects. So dot then allows us to do something depending on whether it was happy or sad. Now, dot then, just like $.ajax, dot then has a return value, mm-hmm. which we have been promptly ignoring. <laughs> oh, no. So we have another loop through the rabbit hole. Last time we learned about $.ajax and then we ignored its return value. And now we've learned about promise dot then and we've returned its, ignore va- its return value. So three guesses what next week is all about. <laughs> uh Promises.then's return uh, uh, stuff. Promise.then's return value, and that is where the absolute magic happens. Okay. It is it is what then returns that allows you to take this simple idea and solve callback hell. Get out of hell. Get out of hell, and it's simply by how clever they were with what promises return from dot then. It's, 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 it's like... It's like Unix. The simplicity is amazing once you grasp it. <laughs> well, I, anyway, I appreciate the time you you put into making this make sense. This is uh, this was enjoyable. I didn't it didn't hurt at all. Phew! And I'm glad I didn't put any more content in. I think I think this is this is a good natural stopping point. I think it is. I think it is. Now, Bart and I talked about this uh, beforehand that there this wasn't a stopping point that invites. Uh, any kind of challenge. So can I keep playing with my uh, with my game? Yes, please. <laughs> In fact, you're having so much fun. I actually think it's worked out pretty well that there's no challenge because I don't want to actually interrupt you. You're, you're being extremely creative. Yeah, I, I, doing things. I do hate it when I'm at the point where like, God, if I just had like another three days, I could get to this extra point, you know, and then uh, the next the next challenge comes. And I'm like, all right, well, there, that's going in the bin for I, I'm going to pretend I'm going to come back later, but I never do. Yes, yeah, so now you have two whole weeks. Yeah. And th- what I actually, right, so I just want to give you, I just want to highlight something to you. I don't know, you, you probably know this already, but I just want to highlight it anyway. 
you are using a third-party JavaScript library that I didn't tell you about. Yeah, yeah. Which means that huh? Which means that you went and googled for a problem to be solved, found a problem to be solved, read the fine manual, understood said fine manual sufficiently to make it actually go. Don't forget the step where so, I where I had a typo in it and couldn't get anything to go and had to have Dorothy find the typo for me. Don't don't skip that step. <laughs> Cause I was like, how but do that you- step is in all of my code too, Alison. <laughs> that step is in everyone's code. Although we don't all have a Dorothy, sometimes we have to go for a cup of coffee. Oh yeah. Then sit down again and go, Oh <laughs> there it that is. cue. Sometimes all it takes is me typing my question to Dorothy for the answer to come. It's like, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I, that happens to me quite a lot because in work we use Microsoft Teams, which is like Slack only better. And I will regularly start typing something to a colleague going, the universe is making no sense. Why doesn't it, when I do this, why doesn't, oh. <laughs> and I just control A, backspace, or command A, backspace. I wrote so, a, a long drawn out one to Dorothy today of something that wasn't working properly. I, I, had, I had a case where it was uh, too low equals true and the length of the array equals one. And I know that, and then, but the result of those two things should come out true and it came out false. And I had like concrete, there it is, right there. It says exactly two things that are exactly, how could that possibly be what I realized true can't be in quotes in that particular example? Ooh, the string true and the Boolean true are not the same. Well, and the the, uh, library I'm using uses true and false and it has to be in quotes in there. Because it's a, it's Ooh, part of a key value pair thing. choice. Well, it's, yeah, it's a key value pair kind of thing. It was rever- the direction the circle is being drawn. Reverse equals false means counterclockwise. It's like, <laughs> my head hurts a lot on this, but it's been it's been. Wait, really who? What? Reverse equals that's two negatives. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. Yeah, I want to give uh, a little teaser here. Um, I don't remember if I've told the audience about this, but uh, it, well, everybody knows about the PBS index that Dorothy uh, created and maintains. Mm-hmm. And God bless her. I told her, I said, we don't know how many people are using this, but I use it all the time. It's uh, in Bart's uh, show notes. It's always there. You can find the index all the time. And um, anyway, she has been doing it by starting in Excel writing in the the notes that she does, and then she exports that as a CSV, and then she wrote a Perl script that takes a CSV and turns it into JSON that turns it, or no, turns it into HTML, I think, at that point. So we started doodling this on the elliptical, and it is now a JSON file, and she's using Ajax to build it and do all this kind of stuff. And uh, I have seen, and and Bart has seen the the pre-release version of it. It's beautiful. I think it's all done in Bootstrap now. It's just gorgeous. And uh, we aren't quite ready to to release it because we're working on how she's going to keep it up to date. She's got to create some sort of better automated way for her to do it than, uh, you know, starting in Excel is not going to be the right way it goes. But anyway, it's beautiful. Wait, sorry, Alison, are you saying Excel isn't the answer to life, the universe and everything? Well, yes, it, it, it's obviously the fundamentals of it, you know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, you'd be so proud of me, Alison. Today, I right-clicked on a CSV file, went uh, properties, open with Excel, change default. Yay! What did it used to do? Numbers, which is much prettier, but less useful. There you go. There you go. Did you see that with Excel, you can now take a photograph of a table and it imports it? 
Yes, I did. That is just like with PowerPoint, you can take a photograph of a drawing and get circles and squares you can edit. Ooh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, Microsoft. Fun. Microsoft are really taking Office three six five to the next level, and because it's cloud based, the new shiny just shows up. Yep, yep. That is that is fun. Not gonna lie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So anyway, this week in Microsoft I'm- tools that we love. Which is nice to be able to do, I have to say. It is. Uh, so, yeah, so in two weeks from now, we will take our promises to the next level by looking at the other side of dot .then, Hooks seeing what it returns. All right, that sounds like fun, Bart. Well, until then, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.